Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. On the Sunday edition of the podcast, we slow things down, find time for stillness, and take a deeper dive into ancient texts. Here, we share selected readings from philosophical and spiritual traditions to help us live our highest good. To learn more, you can visit us at perennialleader.com. Welcome back to another Sunday edition of the podcast. I hope this finds you well. In today's episode, we are concluding our selected readings of Seneca's On the Happy Life. If you missed parts one and two, here's a quick recap. We discussed how clarity is important when it comes to finding happiness. Seneca wrote, let us determine where we are headed and by what path. Also, we're wise to look to those that have already explored what we are advancing toward. A happy life is in agreement with its own nature, according to Seneca. And the happy life is connected to a stable mind that is beyond fear and desire and to whom the only good is what is morally good. I hope you enjoyed this three-part series of Seneca's on the Happy Life. It was meant to be a brief introduction, not a replacement to reading. If you found something useful, I encourage you to take a deeper dive. I'll put some links in the show notes to help you do so if you're interested. Now, on to the episode. Happy, therefore, is the one right in his judgment. Happy is the one content with present circumstances, no matter what they are, and a friend of his own affairs. Happy is the one whose disposition of his affairs is entirely as reason recommends. The reason why the ancients taught us to pursue the best life and not the most pleasurable was so that the will that is right and good might have pleasure as its companion, but not as its leader. For the leader we must use is nature. It is nature that reason looks to and consults. To live happily, then, is the same thing as to live according to nature. As for what this is, I will explain. If carefully and without fear, we preserve the benefits of the body and the equipment of nature treating them as ephemeral and fleeting, if we do not enter into servitude to them, and things not our own do not take possession of us, if the things that please the body when it receives them have the same status for us as auxiliaries and light-armored soldiers have in an army camp, where they must serve rather than give orders. This, in the end, 
is how they can be useful to the mind. Let a person be uncorrupted by externals and unconquerable and an admirer only of himself, trusting in his mind and ready for either outcome, a craftsman of his life. Let his confidence not be without knowledge, his knowledge not without perseverance. Let his decisions, once made, remain. It is understood, even without my adding it, that a man such as this will be composed and orderly, and in whatever he does, he will be magnificent and at the same time friendly. Do not cultivate virtue for any other reason than that you hope for some pleasure from it. First, just because virtue is going to provide some pleasure does not mean that this is the reason why it is sought. It does not provide pleasure, you see, but provides it also. Nor does it toil for pleasure. Rather, its toil will attain this as well. Even though it is seeking something else, just as in a field that has been plowed for corn, some flowers grow up in between. Yet all that work was not undertaken for this little plant, however much it pleases the eyes. So too, pleasure is not the reward or the motive of virtue, but an accessory. And it is not approved of because it gives pleasure, but if approved of, it gives pleasure also. Do you ask what I seek from virtue? Virtue, for it has nothing better. Virtue is its own reward. Thank you for listening. I hope you found something useful. If you're interested in learning more, every Monday we share a short reflection with three timeless ideas to help you start your week with wisdom. You can subscribe at perennialleader.com. Until next time, be wise and be well.